When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 33 9-11s, yeah. like terrible. Okay, this person voted for Trump because they think that every time an abortion occurs, you're mm-hmm. murdering a baby. <laughs> yeah. Like you don't have to agree with these things. Yeah, Just understand that that's what that person thinks. Here we are. Nostradamus in the house. Oh, Charlie Hooper, three weeks ago, <laughs> the election's gonna be a lot closer than people think, but Biden will eke it out. It's looking like you're two for two on presidential elections so far. And that's 100% yep. and is completely extrapolatable <laughs> to I'm all pretty future confident. elections. I'm pretty confident that every politician in the world should be banging down your door now. So, I think you, Did you even say 270 to 268? <laughs> well, it's not, I think you did. It's not looking like that. It might oh, not really? be that close. So Biden might take Georgia. As of the time we're, we're recording this on Thursday, he might take Georgia. He might take Pennsylvania. He could take a lot more um, and make it a more decisive electoral victory. Or even, he could lose them all. Yeah, we don't know. <laughs> Anything can happen. We don't know. We have no president. So I've been thinking a lot about how dumb the electoral college is. Yes, that's one thing. <laughs> but I feel like that's we can we can mention it. Uh, I have been watching John Adams, the old HBO series, and Got I it. really get at a deeper level. I'm not saying states rights with regard to the Civil War, but the compromises that needed to be made for these different states with different agendas to form into a union to fight the British and then the British again, and then how are we going to deal with France? So they had to have a ton of autonomy and a ton of guarantees of the state. And the Electoral College, you know, flowed out of that somehow. Uh, yeah, it made sense 300 years ago. It just doesn't anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's it's made me think like how many legacy systems yeah. in our country and our business and our way of being do we have in place because it made sense so long ago yeah and we can't remove it because there's just a there's a friction to changing anything but yeah the electoral college just seems indefensible at this this sorry what you're saying which i think people might glaze over is that at one point it made complete sense because you were trying to figure out like most countries don't work the way the united states is Mm -hmm. which is to say they go from ocean to ocean and the only thing that stops them is geography right Mm -hmm. like they're there are countries within land masses the size of the U.S. So the U.S. Mm-hmm. had to figure out how do we get Massachusetts not to go to war with Pennsylvania? <laughs> well, and I don't know how much it's true. I might read the biography because it's, it's dramatized. But uh, nobody wanted to back Massachusetts when they had the Tea Party and the first shots. Not right. nobody, but like Virginia's was eh, maybe. But all the southern states were like, I kind of like what's going on here with this deal we have with the British. They're not really bothering us. Why would we throw in with you? New York was under siege and they're like, we're going to ask them not to fire their cannons at New York, so probably not going to go to war right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and just really interesting to see how independent the states were in what was best for them and how over the course of 250, 300 years, 
we travel in between states. You know, I've lived here. I lived here. What am I? Am I a Californian? Am I a Pennsylvanian? I, I have Yorker, no, yeah. I have no state identity. Uh, but we still have all of these state well, and also, rules. In, in my opinion, there's no like your beliefs can be shaped from where you grew up. But being born a Pennsylvanian or being born an Alabaman or being mm-hmm. born in California, it's all the same. Like mm-hmm. the, the country is more united. We have the Internet now. So, yeah, I think the Electoral College probably made a ton of sense back in the day. But now what you're stuck with is like an old system from hundreds of years ago. And you have to come up with reasons why it makes sense. And so you mm-hmm. see people struggling to, to figure it out. They're like, well, you want to make sure the votes count. Mm-hmm. from rural areas in the middle of the country and not just the most populated cities like yeah their vote will count yeah exactly the same yeah whether they move to california mm-hmm. or to the middle and like the midwest it just doesn't matter and the senate is more defensible the two senators from every state which overvalues votes from you know those rural areas mm-hmm. in the middle uh that to me makes a bit more sense but the funny thing about the electoral college is that if you win a state by 50.1 percent say it's texas or california you win Every single that's what I'm saying. Vote. It actually, it actually dis because people the arguments are that oh, if this happened, people would only go and campaign in California, which mm-hmm. would be a terrible strategy. Like, if yeah. anyone did that, they'd lose the election. Um, you would and, just and appeal to go, as many Americans as you could, exactly, exactly. <laughs> no, and then they're, and they're like, oh, and, and plus, you want to make sure that people's votes count in the middle of uh rural areas. It's like, well, right now, just to be clear, you're excluding millions of votes for Republicans in California that just know they have no hope of winning mm-hmm. ever and will never get heard in the presidential yeah. election. So yeah, I've, I have went Googling because I was just like, why does this still exist? What are the arguments for? I tried to steel man it and it seems like it made a lot more sense before cars, airplanes, mm-hmm. cell phones, and the internet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm pretty, I'm pretty on board with just go and let the American people decide what they want. Well, so there's a lot to say about the election. And for those of you who aren't in America, I think it's still interesting because I'm I'm always interested in the psychology behind it. So on election night, I don't even know where to begin. I was watching, I was clicking back and forth between the Young Turks, which are a progressive <laughs> station, Steven Crowder, which is a very conservative thing. I like that you're going to take a psychology angle on this. It, it, this is what was fascinating to me was how similar yet mirrored the conversations were. It yeah. was a group of yes men. Uh just seeing the, how their side was going to win, freaking out when they thought their side wasn't going to win, insisting that the other side was cheating uh, and self-justifying how they were different. And I realized that these conversations, if you put uh, a gun to the heads of anybody in all of these things, or like accurately predict the outcome of the election, or like tell me exactly what percentage of voter fraud has occurred after a thorough investigation which both sides have checked, I think they could have come to more accurate conclusions. Oh, yeah. And they would largely come to the same conclusion. And they would meet in a middle. Yeah. But I realized the communication in those spheres is not aimed at the truth. Yeah. It's aimed at belonging to the group. Yeah, yeah. And the way you belong to the group is on the Young Turks, you say that Donald Trump uh, should just join the KKK and make it official. You know what I mean? Like, that's, which is absurd. <laughs> like, you know you know what the KKK did and, and, and represents and was, right? Like, if you think that Donald Trump is racist, that's still such a far cry from the KKK. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then on Crowder, it's the same jokes, but in the opposite direction, which are equally insane and absurd. Yeah, no, this is actually a, a moment in time. I sent you the clip where I gained a lot of respect for Ben Shapiro because, mm. I mean, oftentimes what happens is your candidate comes out and gives a speech and then your job is to justify why everything they said makes sense, right? Yeah. So Biden comes out and makes a speech and you got to go, he's our guy because we're the young Turks. And mm-hmm. so Trump makes a speech and he says, you know, we've we've already won, in my opinion, or something to that nature. And and uh, if they say 
Otherwise, it's voter fraud. He like goes a little bit further than you would hope that someone would go. He's insinuating that that the votes were going to show up at 4 a.m., which yeah. is like, wait a second, are you saying we need to stop counting at 4 a.m.? You're saying, we, of course, we need to stop voting at 4 a.m. because that's tomorrow. No, like, and, he, and he went too far. And then all yeah. the other people on the Daily Wire are coming up with reasons why what he said is justifiable. And Ben Shapiro is in a room full of conservatives, and he's a conservative, and he goes, this is insane. I literally just shit on the Pennsylvania attorney general for three hours for saying this exact thing about Pennsylvania in reverse. Mm -hmm. I cannot sit here and justify Trump saying it. And then he argued with six of his peers yeah. in a room where no one was applauding him for doing this. And I was like, wow, I might disagree with him, but he's he's sticking to his principles. His mm -hmm. principles were you can't declare Pennsylvania until every vote is counted. Mm -hmm. And his principle is you can't declare these other states until every vote is counted whether it works for and him you or cannot, against him. And he also said, you cannot declare fraud before evidence of fraud is found. Yes. Like it, you, he, and what he said, Trump could have said something like, if there is fraud, we will uh, pursue it to the fullest extent of the law and we will, we will combat it in court. And there may have been and we'll be looking into it, mm -hmm. which would have been fine. But he was very strongly intimating that the fraud had occurred without sufficient evidence. Yeah. No, and I, and I was just, and to your point of these places are just echo chambers where you try to fit in he just he said i'm positive that my fans mm -hmm. might not like this i'm absolutely positive the five people in this room aren't gonna like it because they all just said the opposite but i'm gonna take a stand for where my principles lie and mm -hmm. that's the first time i'd seen him do something like that and i immediately liked him more for it yeah well i think beyond being liked more it, it what i realized there is that you're actually as a human being if you think the way that um evolution has hardwired us. There's some things that are uh, so obvious as to be undeniable. Like, you know, if there's a lightning strikes and it blows open a crater and somebody's like, I didn't see that. Most people are gonna be like, I, I can't deny that that just happened. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's right in front of my face. So there's obviously some connection with an external world that our senses are bringing to us and, and we will stand out of the social group. Sure. But it with anything vague or amorphous, all of our systems seem to be more interested in alignment with our social group because that's actually more important for survival than in than what one might say. And again, I'm presuming an objective morale uh, world, which sometimes we discuss, but it seems more important to align with the group than it does to have an accurate understanding of the world for one's survival, such that, you know, yes, your God is definitely real and I definitely agree and we should definitely wear that garment or cut off that piece of our body or kill those heathens. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. like you are just obviously better off fitting in with the group based on what I watched. <laughs> and that's just clearly the same thing is occurring with me in my own life because I'm not immune from evolutionary forces. Mm -hmm. uh, so I was trying to be aware of that because the advantage is when you're the contrarian who is interested in the world, then you're Warren Buffett. Or, yeah. you know what I mean? Then you're the guy who just watches everybody bail and you're like, no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you you are you are basing your decisions on more fundamental things that will withstand the test of a time as compared to the opinion of a room, which which will move and sway and in, in all different directions. So I've been trying to think about the ways in which I say things to fit in mm. that I oughtn't say. Any come um, to mind? Well, one of the. I guess the we've talked about this in the past that my world understanding apparatus is I over I have too much confidence in my ability to say what's going on in the world based on the mm. fact that I have the internet constantly telling me that I know what's going on in the world. Yeah, yeah. Meaning, let's take the polls as a for instance. 
I, when I made my prediction that Biden would win more narrowly than the polls, I was basing that on, I'm seeing more Trump sentiment than in the real world than I am online, even in California. And I was really just pulling anecdotally, asking people like, did you vote for Trump last time? Mm -hmm. No, are you this time? Yes, but don't tell anyone, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. And then I was reading 538 say, the shy Trump voter doesn't exist, you know? Like our polls can't find it. And I was moved by that. Yeah. Uh, and even though you'd found a shy Trump, voter. even though I'd found one, I was yeah. like, OK, like that's anecdotal and that's statistical. But what what it made me realize is that there's a lot of motivated statistical reasoning going on out there mm -hmm. in order to control my perception and lazy polling and lazy things. Uh, so I over I have too much confidence in things that I hear on the Internet. And I actually am going to move back more towards anecdotal evidence sure. <laughs> as a as a weighted a bit more heavily in my way that I understand the world, even though I fully acknowledge that independent unbiased statistics would be a superior way of knowing the world yeah but you're saying what we saw was that they're hard to come by yes and there's no skin in the game for so many of these pollsters mm -hmm. like did 538 get less traffic than they did when they got the last one wrong and yes you know you can win with five or ten percent chance that that happens in gambling this is they predicted in 2016 that trump would have a five to ten percent chance of winning and he did um he crushed in the electoral college, to be clear, but I, they didn't seem to lose any credibility mm -hmm. based on that. And I was still there and it made me realize that they don't have a tremendous amount of skin in the game. Mm -hmm. Like they're not uh, liable to loss and there's no one holding a gun to their head saying, where are you gonna, where is this going to go? And I think if there was, you'd see more accurate polling coming from these polling people, better models coming from the modelers and uh, fewer surprises than mm. than we are seeing right now. So yeah, anything with numbers, and, and people in our audience might not like this, but it's numbers that I cannot dig into and understand where they come from that are touted as just universal knowns. Irrefutable. Yeah, well, like everyone knows it, you know, yeah, I mean, yeah. like all, all the experts are saying. And I hate to say it, the one that I came up with right away was climate change, which uh, it, this is not me saying that I disbelieve climate change. It is me saying that that follows that same format of it's a bunch of numbers that I have not dove into to understand where they come from, who's doing it, what kind of motivated reasoning might mm -hmm. be being behind it. Uh, the primary argument that I hear is the author is the uh, argument from authority. All the scientists say so. Um, and there's large monetary incentives and social incentives to fall in line, meaning if you're a scientist and you disagree, I can very well see that you could be excommunicated from your group or not welcome in this thing. So I uh, have amended my stance of climate change to uh, don't know and haven't looked into it. Could look into it and move either way. Mm. But uh, I'm curious, do any others come to mind that follow that pattern? I believe them because experts say that they're the uh, case. We, your confidence, if you reflect on it, is based on the precision of numbers offered to you from the internet. You know what I mean? Like the uh, the power pose thing, Amy Cuddy. What we've seen is a 23% rise yeah, yeah, yeah. in testosterone when people, oh, 23. You know what I mean? Like the fake precision uh, without having really dug into the methods that they used to get that. I can give you some from my own life. Okay. I was an analyst at a consulting company. And I tell you that the numbers that I came up with were really faulty but they then formed the foundational bedrock of these 100-page reports that were sent to the Navy about how to do their budgeting, which they most of the time never even used. They were just 
uh, using us to cover their ass mm -hmm. for a decision that they'd already made. But it's a bunch of 23 year old interns conducting these polling calls, you know what I mean? Yeah, with yeah. like different inflections and not following the script and yeah, with with maybe a, an accent that tips the person off that, oh crap, I can't say I'm voting for Trump or I can't say I'm voting for Biden because I can tell that this person is from an area of the country that they're not gonna like that. Um, well, I'm just thinking that that's, to some degree, that's everything. Like, it's everything. Well, it's everything saying, outside. <laughs> why? Like, I only believe birth control. I know why condoms work. It catches my yeah. semen. But like, why do I think the birth control pill works? Fair. Literally, it just says it's ninety nine percent effective. And why you do have I some think, anecdotal experience? Well, why do I think coronavirus? Uh, Corona is a great example. Is a, is a thing. Like, I don't. I haven't met anyone personally. My friend actually just got it. He mm -hmm. sent me a text. But like, uh, why do I think there are deaths there at all? I don't mm -hmm. know anyone personally who died. Well, because people are telling me that yes. there's 200,000 people have died from Corona. It's like, okay, why do I think that the world is round? I've never personally run an experiment that says the world is round. Yeah. So like, if I'm going to ignore everything that I haven't done myself, I will become agnostic to everything. I think that's including the, like if birth yeah. control is functional or not. Well, I think you can tentatively go with the majority. You know what I mean? You can tentatively be like, look, I haven't heard anybody dispute this. And that's another thing is, unfortunately, I'm uh, advantaging the ability for bad actors to muddy the waters because I've never heard an argument, for instance, that birth control is not effective. that effective. I also happen to have a ton of anecdotal evidence that it is. And I don't just mean myself. I mean friends and, you know, I don't know anybody who has uh, gotten anyone pregnant with proper use of birth control. I mean, like the- Sure pill. we do. Do we? What about uh, Henry's friend? Oh, God. She was, she was <laughs> taking birth control. There's she a lot. Said, there's, she said she was taking birth control. There's several of those, what are to you be saying? fair. There's a lot of whoops, I forgot uh, examples. No, which, which are like, only how just, could this have happened? <laughs> I never missed a day. Um, but that's a good one. And coronavirus, I, I do think, falls into that where, and then you have to add into it that there's a tremendous amount of social pressure to conform to what authority says. Now, I'm not saying that I'm out there protesting, walking into stores without a mask, because then there's, a, of course, the calculation of like, what does this cost me on either mm -hmm. side? Like, maybe this isn't. Well, as it's not. I actually would. It's not federal authority. It's, I think it's local authority, because I think there's probably pressure to not wear masks. In where we live. Cultures yeah. where. Sorry. There's pressure to wear a mask mm -hmm. in cultures in the U.S. that say that coronavirus is deadly. I'm pretty confident there's also places where you'll be belittled for wearing a mask mm. in a place that has decided that it's not a big deal. Sure. So I don't think it's just what um, the federal authority says. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I think it's what's your community saying yep. about the coronavirus. And, and the other that's thing, the pressure to conform. And I and I could be wrong. Uh, I immediately lose all our ad money, by the way, <laughs> this conversation. Well, I do treat some <laughs> statistics as... Uh, within that range of law, I don't trust numbers. It's not any number. It's some some I have greater faith in. But of course, I mean, even then, there's been such what counts as a coronavirus death now, you know, is, is mm -hmm. a big problem. Like, well, it's 1,000 a day. Well, is that 1,000 people that wouldn't have died in a week because they had stage four cancer? And it'd be like, and coronavirus sped that up by seven days. Um, I The point here is not that I, I'm just going to take, and I've said this before, less certain positions mm -hmm. on a lot of things that are outside my eyes and ears and my ability to go to primary sources and really deeply understand the data. Uh, but so, yeah, there's and then there's just random jumping here. Other things that I saw on Election Day, we've talked about a lack of principle in the past. So I was watching the Young Turks and God, what, what were they saying? They the first argument, it might have been about the Electoral College 
or it was something like that where they were criticizing Republicans for not wanting democracy and they could not believe that you know every vote should count one and people need to get their votes counted. Yeah, they were saying they're saying we should get rid of the electoral college, go to a popular yeah. vote, let the people decide. We need democracy, democracy, Republicans hate democracy. Yep. And I kid you not, the next conversation they had was about the props in California. Now, if you don't know, in California, you get to directly vote on a number of specific laws and almost all of them broke conservative. Mm in California. So when trying to square that, which was the most democratic thing, it's not a republic, it's not your representative picks for you. No, we all it's, vote. It's, yes, it's a democracy. Uh, <laughs> they immediately <laughs> were like, we can't, people aren't ready to, to make these decisions. They don't understand this kind of stuff. They're not ready. Like this is so complicated. Dialysis machines, how could they possibly know? But of course, they could definitely know Joe Biden's uh, tax stance and his international thing. Yeah, That's got, not too complicated. I, you see this on the other end with the Daily Wire. They basically yeah, yeah. go, what do I want to happen? Yes. I want Biden to win. Well, yeah. what does that mean? That means I don't like the Electoral College. Well, yeah. What do I want to happen with these props? I wanted the props to go Democrat. They went Republican. What does that mean? It means the system's broken and we shouldn't let people vote on them. We should have representatives. They're mm -hmm. just going with what outcome do I want first? Yeah, yeah. And then what prescription do I give instead of being like, on the whole, I think that the closer we can get to the people deciding the government, the better, which means no mm -hmm. electoral college and all these props should break exactly yeah. the way they broke. And like, I'm going to deal with the consequences of my principle, yeah. which I didn't see from anybody. No, no. And that, that's not to pick on them Except exclusively. On that particular evening. Yeah. In that moment. Um, but not to pick on anybody, just a crazy, crazy example of, of uh, two camps of highly motivated reasoning and the last thing I will say is the fever pitch of different, uh, like how far apart the Young Turks and Steven Crowder were is like worlds apart. Mm -hmm. But, and and that makes me scared because like these people cannot interact. They could never, and, and if they did, they would probably just be horrible to one another. But then also trying to go with my anecdotal experience, it's very, very, very rare that I encounter someone that I cannot interact with because mm -hmm. of a political thing or that I've even seen that happen in the real world. So I think the internet, this is, as of like thinking about this, I trusted, uh, weirdly enough, Instagram political statements, mm -hmm. but not Instagram social statements, which is to say when I saw a picture of somebody at a club having so much fun, I was like, bullshit, yep. you're miserable. This is the one time the camera came out and you smiled and then you sat there. I've been there. I know that this is fake. Mm -hmm. But when they're like, oh, we need to stand for this. I was like, oh, they, they mean that. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and I realized I was they're like, just signaling. This is all just a branding thing. This is this does not say how they feel. It says what they want their group to think about them. Well, I'll go one area that I think is the opposite, because I do think people are more polite in person because mm -hmm. they a lot of people are scared of conflict. Sure. They don't like to argue. So I think the one thing I saw a lot of was this this disbelief in the other side. And I saw this from conservatives and from liberals, this. How could anyone possibly <laughs> vote for yeah. and then say the other candidate's name? They have to be an idiot, a monster, whatever yeah. it is. And uh, that, I was a little bit disheartened by how frequently that thought process occurs. And I, I can imagine it occurring in real life too, not just on the internet. In a, in a group where you're positive that everyone's a mm -hmm. Democrat and you're positive that everyone is a Republican, I can, I can very easily see people going, the other side is so dumb. The other side is so callous. I understand. And I, yeah. I would say my my one thing that I wish is that if anybody actually thinks that, to just accept that that's a lack of empathy or imagination on your part. Because mm -hmm. I can think of five really solid reasons if it was the number one thing you cared about that you'd vote for each candidate. Mm -hmm. And I think 
if you start there and you go, okay, this person voted for Biden because they think that the way Trump treated coronavirus is going to lead to 100,000 deaths mm-hmm. that didn't have to happen. 33 9-11s, yeah. like terrible. Okay, this person voted for Trump because they think that every time an abortion occurs, you're mm-hmm. murdering a baby. <laughs> yeah. Like you don't have to agree with these things. Yeah, Just understand that that's what that person thinks. And so whatever you think about taxes or gun control, they don't care because 33 9-11s mm-hmm. or stabbing babies to death and then you go okay i can have a conversation now because i have a little bit of empathy i've used my imagination to understand the other side and i saw and maybe it's because it's election night but like almost none of that and it was very very much like morons monsters idiots racists whatever you want to call it and uh i think that's the best thing that could possibly happen for the country is if people just went let's assume that that's not the case Let's pretend that I have to steal man the other side. Cool. Now let's have this political conversation. Yeah. You know what I mean? Totally. And I and I, I do agree with you. But I also one of the things that I was heartened by was that, again, I was going, is the Internet real? And are these people stating true beliefs? Which is I don't know what's true, what they would say in polite society and what they would say when they're trying to fit well, in with I've their friends. It. I don't know if you've, you've never seen someone go, I can't believe how racist the country is because Trump won or I can't believe how. I've never seen them say it in front of a person that they felt would be that was that's like oftentimes to connect. Yes. Or, they never say it in front of someone they think is on the other side. but They do say it in real life. It's okay, not so that's, just Internet. I forms. think we can agree on this. Here's what people say in polite society, you know, when a Democrat confronted with a Republican, vice versa. It's almost nothing. <laughs> almost nothing. Unless it's those they get along matches. totally fine. Yeah. They, they get along fine. Here's what they say with their friends on election night. Mm-hmm. Their actual, whatever the truth is, seems to be in the middle of that, which is it's not it's not that they're monsters. If you thought that someone was a monster and they were standing in front of you, you know what I mean? Like, I, I genu- are you that genu- much of a coward yes, that you can't say are. it? I think they are. I, d- I genuinely think a lot of Democrats think that people who vote for Trump are racist and that that's what they vote for or that they're greedy and that all they care about is taxes. I think very quickly when confronted with an individual, they would have to modulate that belief down. This is what I'm saying. And so uh, to me, it does seem like the actual truth of their belief, because I guess what does belief mean? Jordan Peterson raised this point very well. I didn't agree with a lot of what he said in his debates with Sam Harris, which is belief seems to imply action. Like if I say that I believe in the Christian God, but I have a bunch of premarital sex and don't go to confession and don't do any of this, but I'm like, oh no, I I believe it. So you're just aiming at hell? Like you tell me, tell me what it means to believe that. So when you say they, they're all monsters, they're all this, they're all that. And then your behavior is only to scream about it in very safe places on social media. It seems like that's very much to fit in. And your actual belief about people is really not. It's somewhere in between. Oh, I think I think maybe I'm, I just have a different understanding of how conflict avoidant people are. Mm-hmm. I really think that someone could think. So I'm in the supermarket and uh, I go, hey, that person in a Trump hat, 100 percent positive, horrible racist, mm-hmm. says atrocious things all the time. Yeah. And I'm talking to somebody who's liberal. They're going to just get out of the store. They're mm-hmm. not going to go talk to the person. Or, totally. And I think I could do it in a friend group, too. I actually I, think I, I could I don't go. mean at a thing. I mean at a dinner party where they talk about uh, football with them. And they, they Oh, connect. I think I could do it. I think I could do it in a friend group. Like, dude, did you hear that this person said the N-word to a black person on the street? I saw it. And then he shouted at him. And then the person walked away. And he, he was incensed. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're going to bring it up at dinner. I you think, think they would laugh there. about football and laugh yeah. about? Oh, yeah. 
sit there awkwardly until they warmed so up to it. So then to me, and I'm then... okay with that. If, if that's what belief means, if it, no, they believe it, but they can be cordial, friendly, yeah, work yeah, together. people are just scared of conflict. It, so I'll, uh, so as not to have Especially this semantic. In Especially sure. in friend groups. I feel okay about that world. You know what I mean? If it's like, sure. look, you're going to go away and scream to your friends and say all these non words that have no bearing on or very little bearing on your, oh, on your yeah. My, I mean, behavior. I think- I think it's for yourself, the empathy and the imagination. I think it's so you're not baffled when Trump gets more votes this year than four years ago. You're like, how could this happen? I, I don't know. Maybe like play a game where I'm going to give you a million dollars if you get it right. Yeah. Why did this happen? So I had this conversation <laughs> I with bet, my mom. I bet all of a sudden you become way more reasonable if I'm like, hey, I'm going to give you a million dollars if you get this right. I told you this, right? I do this all the time. I'm You guys wouldn't like it. I would could have my mom on, but I'm I'm I love her and I'm rough on her in arguments. OK, uh, so she called up and I was teasing her because I knew that she was panicked about Trump maybe winning and there looked like he might. And uh, she said, no, Charlie, he's like Hitler. He's like Stalin. I, I was like, OK, mom, just to be clear, you think he's going to go in his second term? He's going to go for the concentration camps and the, the slaughter Jews. of his six million Jews, 12 million total. Yeah. No. And, and she was going, going, going. I said, you know what? I, I know better than this. Stop. I'm going to make a five hundred dollar bet with you. Even odds. You have to make a concrete prediction. What's he going to do? And she said, he's going to try to get one of his kids elected. I said, whoa, 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 <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Moving the goalposts much. Is that what defined Hitler? Is that what defined Stalin? And so we went back and forth. And eventually I was like, mom, you will. I think you'll win that bet. I think he yeah, will I think try to get. I think he's going to try to get Ivanka or Don Jr. elected, and I think he's going to legally contest the election. But I don't think if he loses, he'll be there in February. I'll give you that bet, even odds. You know, yeah, yeah. like uh, I don't think there's going to be a military coup. I don't think you're going to see a tank in the street. But I will give you even odds, and you can win some money mm-hmm. for the end of the world. And she wouldn't take it. Um, <laughs> she had to. She had to go think about it. But this is the point that we've been talking about so many times: is that. Uh, when you ask people to put skin in the game, yeah, yeah, they get so much more reasonable and so much more capable of of making predictions that will work. And if they don't, they lose all their money, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then then they get smart. Um, so, or you know what? Or maybe she just had a sure thing and lost, <laughs> lost a chance at five hundred bucks because he was going to start up his concentration camps in February. Yeah. Well, I'm sure people are going to say that that we have them at the borders, but I think that's probably underplaying the Holocaust, in uh, my opinion. Well, we need to be. This is why I say with my mom, be specific. OK, like how many people in concentration camp? And it doesn't need to be six million. If it's um, two million, you know what I mean? I'll, I'll give you that number. Well, it was six million dead, right? That was six. six sorry, you're right. You're right. Camps. Yeah, it was more than it was. It was like 14 or 12 camps. million dead, six million Jews. And then even more than that, that were in the camps. Yes. Um, so whatever it is, I'm going to give you a fraction of that as your okay. He's crossed into Hitler territory. Yeah. Well, uh, also, how many kids do you think were in cages during Obama? Because it wasn't zero. Well, the the point being with all of us, because it's not important whether Donald Trump is a good guy or a bad guy, or he's better than Obama, or Obama started it, which is so often how these conversations devolve. He, Obama had it first. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I just think people. <laughs> I just think people who think he's Hitler maybe should read a book about Hitler and like what he did. So in this, Germany. So I've been. Maybe I've, that's my Jewish bias, but I just think <laughs> it's not not quite as bad as yeah. Hitler. Well, I've been getting more into presidential history, and I've been learning more. Dude, 1800s are just like like a century that I didn't know anything about mm. for a long time, uh, and it's interesting because so often people will watch CNN or Fox and they'll get one nugget of history, and then they'll whip out in an argument, "You don't know your history," which is ridiculous 
because both people in most cases haven't been interested in history since 11th grade when they were forced to. Mm -hmm. uh, but history, as they told you in 11th grade, and I didn't believe at the time, is really interesting. And it's it's fascinating and it's actually given me a lot of comfort in what appeared to be very tumultuous times because holy cow, like George Washington was in a very tumultuous time and people didn't agree with him. And like they didn't want to initially... Uh, not everybody wanted to initially fight the British. And then apparently there were mobs outside of his house when he wouldn't uh, back the French revolutionaries and instead kind of like kept a neutrality, which they read as siding with England, which they just threw off. And they were like, fire, you know, this is George Washington, who we now universally by historians is the greatest president to ever live. One of the greatest men, like step down, just a phenomenal human being, mm -hmm. uh, was so contentious and was so unclear. And the times were so turbulent it makes me feel much more comfortable about where we are today, that this is nowhere near unprecedented. Yeah, yeah. Like the British burned the White House down. <laughs> you know, like it's been uh, the flu of 1919, what a Spanish flu was so much worse than this. So it, it does make me be like, all this stuff is a speed bump in, in the long history of America. And it might not be as fun as the 90s or 2000s were, but yeah, yeah. it's like really soft <laughs> compared sure. to... Uh, compared to what history has has shown a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I said the whole time I wasn't really hyped on either candidate. So I was just hoping that the Senate and president would go in different directions. <laughs> like, that way, neither of them would be able to get much done. So yeah. I just hope I get that wish. So we got. So, yeah, that's election. We got the polls. I wrote down some things that I'm going to try to implement in my own life. Okay. And we've talked about some of them. So one that people on the Internet are trying to control you. So stop buying it and uh, don't allow numbers to give you a false sense of confidence. That's not to say that you just go, oh, there's a number, I can't believe it. It's to say that there's this thing that happens in my brain where the, it's like the more significant figures a number has, like 23.25%, I just assume that that's more true, mm -hmm. even though it's only more precise, mm -hmm. which could be completely wrong still. Um, talk to people who disagree with me. Um, imagine principles with the shoe on the other foot, which is what you kind of talked about that impressed you about Ben Shapiro. Um, oh, and I have an interesting one for you that I'll, that I'll throw at you. Okay. Um, resist the urge uh, to fight with people and follow the urge to create, meaning that like when you're arguing with someone about anything, you have to spend 80% of your energy overcoming them. And then you have got 27 or 20% less, 27, that's great math, 20% left to do anything interesting mm -hmm. versus if you just try to help in some kind of a way, mm -hmm. you can do a lot more. So I actually like look at these presidents and all the effort and all the money and all the stuff that goes into getting elected. And even if Biden wins, he's already blown millions of dollars mm -hmm. to get there. And then he's got to fight with the Senate to get anything done. And I just wonder if he'd instead started a foundation <laughs> and it just been like, I'm not gonna, nobody's gonna stand opposed to me. I'm just gonna try to help people with all the money that I've gotten raised. and. I'm just going to fight the world and not people who are standing against me. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I mean, I think it's it, it depends how successful you are in each endeavor. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like some charities just don't work, but the, yeah. how who's who's doing more positive for the world? Scott Harrison, who started Charity Water, Senator of California. I don't mm -hmm. know. Who's going to do more? Who's going to leave a bigger impact on the world? The president of the United States or Bill Gates, who's made, you know, like they're like the most successful yeah, yeah. in their field. So I think certainly an incredibly talented and successful politician will beat a untalented person sure. trying to work in the nonprofit world. But also, 
someone who never makes it even to mayor or governor is going to get crushed by Scott Harrison, who just mm -hmm. decided, I'm going to do water. All I'm going to do is try to get people water. One million people now have water. That's, that's so, crazy, you know, and I didn't yeah. have to get any legislation passed or fight with anybody to, to get it done. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know who wins at the top end, the president versus the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. But certainly <laughs> it seems like when you don't have to fight anybody in order to get your wells dug mm -hmm. you just need to get the money and then yeah, dig yeah. the wells i think you do have an advantage over sure and this is just this to... is for me if you want to get into politics i'm not telling anyone in the audience that they mm -hmm. oughtn't this is just what i took from this so no that's a good point um and then resist the urge to say what someone else wants without just asking them you know they want they just want racism. Uh, they just want to own the libs. Uh, they just they just want to abort babies everywhere. <laughs> you know, like uh, you can't trust one hundred percent what people say because sometimes their spoken motive is not actually their their deeper motive. But you got to at least ask, and <laughs> because I don't think anyone's gonna be like, "Yes, I'm here to vote for Trump to own the libs." <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, but anyway, the one that I that I had for you, which uh, I saw somebody else say, I know you're a big fan of the veil of ignorance. Mm -hmm. uh, he expanded the veil of ignorance to animals. Okay. Which, so, and we've we've cut back uh, to differing levels on different. You know, you don't eat cows. I don't eat cows. We don't do pigs. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he he encourages people to to do the veil of ignorance exercise to imagine that you could be born into anything. Mm -hmm. Uh, and include animals in that and then see if that shifts any of your behaviors or eating habits. I'm curious what you think about that. Well, for me, because I have at the moment stopped eating mammals, that's going to make me eat more mammals if they're hunted. Because it seems weird. Let's say I'm a zebra. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be pissed if someone shoots me in the head. But meanwhile, my entire life is just spent fleeing from lions. I think if I'm an animal, I think the world is about getting food, and avoiding being killed for food. You just think that's the circle of life, mm -hmm. which feels like a pretty solid justification for certainly like bow hunting. Yeah, yeah. Like how am I going to say like Joe Rogan bow hunts and that's wrong, but I'm a deer and I spend my entire life running from wolves or bears or whatever it is. So it's like, yeah, I mean, if I were to do that, I would immediately say it was okay to hunt animals and then eat them. Because, well, no, so, so you don't, you're setting up the world and obviously there's uh I'm saying I'm a laws deer. of thermodynamics and physics that you cannot change. Well, I'm saying I'm a deer, right? Mm -hmm. Bears try to kill me and eat me. Seems ethical. Wolves try to kill me and eat me. Seems ethical. Because you could have been that bear and you could have been that. And you're like, oh, wow, well, great. Now I'm the bear who has to starve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the deer. Just exactly. I just have to I'm a wolf. I just have to watch a deer <laughs> dance around. So it's like, okay. Bears don't eat deer, I don't think. But and in any yeah, way. Like there's uh <laughs> So if you don't know who you are, you have to allow carnivores to eat. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You're, you're not going to put yourself into starving to death mm -hmm. if you get become a carnivore. Sure. Okay, so carnivores can eat. So which means when I'm if I'm born a prey animal, I just the way the world works that I agreed to before going in is that prey animals are going to try to get all the vegetation that they can, and carnivores are going to get all the prey. Are going to try to kill the prey animals. What about the omnivores? What's a wild omnivore? What's not? What's a non-human? And uh, a bear, I think. Uh, is it that they can eat both or that they could truly survive without any, I mean, neither of us really knows the answer to this. Well, like, I'm not, I'm not a biologist, but I think the interesting question for humans, cause this is how I wound up is, uh, that they could, they could with, uh, sacrifice survive on, on either. So I don't know what's going to happen. Well, this I don't is know which animal I'm going to be. Mm -hmm. Humans could eat plants. And can I become a plant? Yeah. Do I feel pain? 
This is the question. That's really what it comes down to. Is like, look, if every blade of grass feels the amount of pain that every screaming uh, deer does, then holy cow, what what a world to have to pick. Um, it really depends on that question. Uh, 100%. Can you feel pain? If you're just a, yeah, what is the level of consciousness you have? Because you could be born a blade of grass. You could be born uh, a dung beetle, you know? So that that brings us back but what it did make me and this kind of underscores the a lot of the beliefs that we have is that factory farming is just like no yeah, yeah. do i want to be thrown into a torture pit well i already feel that way yeah. yes i think i think that i guess yeah i'm kind of already under the assumption <laughs> that animals do have some ability to feel and suffer well so, some animals because here's the thing there's protozoa that are technically in the animal kingdom yes yeah, sorry cows and pigs yes and then the question is, and I don't know the answer, is is, is where between protozoa and humans uh, does that veil of ignorance line get drawn? Yeah, I don't know what a fish, I mean, when I gave it a quick Google, fish, they were like, they don't feel pain. They just mm -hmm. react because their nerves aren't connected to their brain. So yeah. if you like poke them, like they move, but it's not that they feel the pain. Just like a I don't plant. Know if that, but I don't yeah. know if that's true. Me neither. I'm not a fish. No. You know I mean, I like read a study yeah. when I was trying to figure out where I should draw the line of what to eat and not to eat. Mm -hmm. Could be totally wrong, man. Maybe yeah, yeah. fish hate getting cooked in the mouth. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Well, hate is also a strange word because clearly plants hate getting blocked the sun. They hate being uprooted. You know, they've devised all sorts of evolutionary you don't think ways. think those apples like that I plucked them from a tree and put well, the them in the fridge? But the apples like it. The apples love it. You think so? The tree, that's how, that's you. I mean, they'd like it if you took a poop on the grass instead. <laughs> but that's why they made the apple so sweet. You know, like the tree, what it doesn't want, want uh, is to be cut down. Mm. But it, oh yeah, please take these sweet, sweet apples. Nice. Like that's that's why we made these. Nice. Just poop it outside if no, you, no, if you I don't. Can't do, that. can't do that. Don't. Plump. Also, I'm not gonna eat the seeds. <laughs> also, were you like the GMOs that have no seeds? <laughs> <laughs> um, but I didn't. I didn't get to the bottom of it. But I am gonna. By the way, speaking of things that authority may mislead you on, apparently the whole like GMO bad. Mm. There's a lot of pushback from people who seem to know more about fruits than I do. That mm -hmm. says that that's just shenanigans well, I, I don't know either direction but i'm very agnostic on this whole gmo the, bad the strongest thing. thing that i've heard about gmos is that uh the original form of corn is maize which is yeah, this yeah, exactly. really gristly hard thing and humans uh the original form of dogs are wolves like yeah. they're not these friendly cuddly little shih tzus that <laughs> they can't yeah, yeah. fight for themselves or those dogs the pugs that can't even breathe like those are not hunting animals those no, are even human even a lot like gmo apparently broccoli is yeah. a GMO. It started yeah. as like a very small part of a larger plant. Nah. Uh, corn. There's it's so it's kind of like you're already eating GMOs. So the question is, where do you draw the line on what's a good or bad GMO? And but you're eating guaranteed, yeah, a GMO. But and then I'm sure there's GMOs that are bad for you because they went too far too fast. They didn't test it, and it's got uh, trace amounts of arsenic that build up in your body, and now you're dead. So. Yeah, G yeah. Well, I'm GMOs, just saying, if you're gonna if you're gonna doubt climate change, I'm gonna toss one out, which is oh, I'm GMO is bad. Agnostic on that. Go agnostic. I'm a hundred percent on board for that. That that we in got involved in the evolutionary process and picked the things that we like. Like, pretty sure people are taller today, and you know what I mean. Like, there's just different things. I guess mm -hmm. that might be nutrition, but uh, yeah, we've we've GMO'd ourselves. We've GMO'd other things. We've we've done lots of stuff like that. So. I have no problem with GMOs. But yeah, I I don't know what I'm going to do. I am going to watch Dominion, which is a Joaquin Phoenix narrated thing. Mm -hmm. I think it will reinforce what I am doing because right now I'm, I'm in that stage where like I really want to eat something mm. and I'm well, you're forgotten why. Do you think that 
if you veil of ignorance, you'd go vegan? Is that what you're saying? I'm unclear. I'm unclear. I, I know, obviously I did it. Cows, I wouldn't. Pigs, I wouldn't. I think birds, I wouldn't either. You know, chicken and turkey. Um, you know, fish don't have those vocal cords. It's tough to, it's <laughs> tough to, like, what it's tough about, to connect with well, them. How do you feel about the, on the salmon front? Well, and here's where I go. I actually am like definitely crickets. I feel very comfortable with crickets and I feel very comfortable with bacteria. Like when I take an antibiotic, I'm not weighing, oh God, you know, am I, this is a genocide. And if I could, <laughs> could a doctor cut me open and put them somewhere safe, take them outside so they can spread? Like, no, I'm gonna- Fuck I'm, those bacteria. I'm gonna genocide those animals. Yeah. Uh, and so I don't, I don't think it's, it's all the way down to protozoa and I'm not there and I'm not bacteria and I'm not insects, I don't think. Mm. And uh, I'm not mollusks. Like I see clams and, and that kind of stuff. And then the one where I, and then octopus is, is a bridge too far for me because I, I watched the octopus documentary. Oh yeah, I don't eat octopus. And so then the fish for me are in this question mark mm -hmm. zone. Uh, and then you could introduce the environmental argument. You could introduce all those kinds of things, which I find personally less compelling perhaps because i don't know as much about it um and also have uh, a greater faith in technology to overcome versus the moral abhorrence of torture mm. is not overcome via like you don't you can't go back in time and undo the torture mm. that you've done so yeah i'm unclear on fish and quite frankly fish might be too broad a category. There's probably some fish yeah, yeah, that are yeah. like, yeah, definitely those dumb guys. Well, that's what I say. Like, yeah, pescatarian, but not octopus. Oh, no, definitely not octopus. Yeah. Definitely not octopus. What was not that dolphins. documentary you liked? Uh, my octopus friend. My octopus friend. <laughs> Anyone who eats octopus, watch my octopus watch friend. Watch my octopus friend. Oh my gosh. Um, so yeah, this, this was just a, a thought because I'm making a video on cognitive dissonance. And if anybody out there, by the way, has really good clips of cognitive dissonance, the ones that I'm using right now are Jordan Peterson, Kathy Newman, where she's just stunned and into silence. There's Ben Affleck and Sam Harris on Bill Maher, where Ben Affleck just gets irate and mischaracterizes what Sam Harris is saying. I'm trying to get some on both sides of the aisle. So I guess Sam is, that's the thing. Sam is technically a liberal, but he's being treated like he's a conservative these days. But if you have, I have Bill O'Reilly actually with Jon Stewart. So any others like that where somebody gets irate or freaks out. Uh, and You're saying where they, they potentially start losing the argument in terms of the positions of the argument. And so they get really loud or confused or dance around the argument or change the argument. Yeah. And preferably. Rather than just have their mind changed. Correct. And preferably someone famous. I'm not trying to take. Uh, people off necessarily change my mind with Crowder that are just college kids. You're not trying to like are, pick on a kid. Yeah, and I and I did in in the video with him. I tried to be very gentle, but uh, if I have to resort to that, I may. But I'm looking for more famous people. So write them in the comments. All right, uh, cool. It's super helpful to me. Anything else you got? Yeah, it's so it's completely unrelated. So I'm re I've been listening to the Book of Joy, Dalai Lama, and uh, I was surprised <laughs> Dalai Lama and uh, Archbishop Desmond Tutu. I was surprised, obviously, they didn't come up with this, but the author puts together uh, eight pillars of joy from the conversation, which I didn't think they'd get this prescriptive, which I thought was interesting. So I was like, oh, maybe if I just try to maximize these eight things, then I'll mm. have like, inner peace and joy. And I was curious if any of them pop out to you as surprising or as particularly like the more difficult ones, or if you think something's missing. There's eight, so it's going to be a little bit hard to keep track of. But we, if you don't have any thoughts on it, we can just skip it. No, but I just thought like it was interesting. So, <laughs> yeah, money. The Dalai Lama, eight pillars of joy. Uh, <laughs> sex, money, <laughs> drugs. Yeah, him and Jordan Belfort actually, very similar list. So, uh, 
so he splits them into mind and heart. Okay. Which might just make it easier to remember. So mind is perspective, humility, mm-hmm. humor, acceptance. Okay. Heart is forgiveness, gratitude, compassion, generosity. And I think that basically the thesis is if you ever find yourself unhappy, you've lost one of these eight things. Like mm-hmm. if you had all these eight things at a 10 out of 10, you would just never experience suffering. You could experience pain, you, you know, shatter your bone, but you would not, to the extent you lay awake at night worrying about something or are sad about something that happened in the past or that might happen in the future or have anger of any kind. Basically, my impression is it means one of these eight things or several of these eight things have been lost to you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they sound comprehensive. I had expected more prescriptive things like eat meals with friends or spend time in exercise. But uh, there, so he, so this was something I was actually going to bring up later. The Dalai Lama does actually emphasize friendship Mm -hmm. much more so than romantic relationships or Mm -hmm. uh, external success. But I think that their philosophy is that you should be able to experience joy independent, even with no friends, Mm -hmm. uh, because you just can go about your day with no human interaction, or you can be super present for the 10 minutes you're talking to a barista and have a human connection that goes beyond that this person's job is to bring you coffee. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I actually think that what they would say is that you can have a joyful life with humans coming in and out of your life that aren't necessarily long-term relationships with any kind. But the Dalai Lama does specifically say that he thinks close long-term friendships are the most important relationships in his opinion. Now, obviously, I think he's, he's not he, allowed to have sex. Never had so, sex yeah. uh, he's not allowed to have mm-hmm. <laughs> romantic relationships, but he he is of, of the impression that that is super important in his life. Yeah, got it. So yeah, I mean, given those, I could, it would, it's tough to imagine having a bad day with those eight things at a 10 out of 10, right? It's, it's like, I feel like I only need two or three and I'm going to be set. You know yeah, what yeah. I mean? Like if I'm, well, the one, if I'm, if I'm laughing and I'm deeply in humor, it's like, pretty good i don't need like do i need perspective if if i'm just cracking up the only thing i was thinking about is potentially having it written down somewhere for if i do find myself anxious or angry or sad and i think first you experience the emotion but if you feel stuck in it right just be like okay what am i missing here you know what i mean like why what have i lost well those are i guess those those things are states of being and the doing is less uh doesn't flow as obviously from them so it might be a useful list to have But then the question is, oh, I'm lacking perspective. Okay, now what? Or I'm lacking gratitude. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, how do I get that mm-hmm. is, is then the question. And maybe from that list, there flow a handful of suggestions or things. Or, Well, I think oh, it's weird because, yeah, perspective and gratitude, one's considered a mind and one's considered a heart thing. But to me, they're very similar because yeah. it's like, let's, for instance, let's say that you, you're like, what I realize is that I'm not experiencing gratitude for my own life or I lack perspective. I think I actually think there are things you could do. So sure. like, you could go to the burn unit of a hospital. Yep. If you're struggling with depression because your significant other left you and you're, I'll never love again. Like, yeah, you just go deal with some people who are healing from burns and you'll leave being like, I, I feel very grateful. <laughs> Watch John Adams, man. I just, the moment, weirdly, the moment of greatest empathy and appreciation for me was when they tarred and feathered the British tax collector. And I was like, here's one dude in a mob. And this definitely happened in various forms. Mm-hmm where the mob strips him naked, pern, like Khal Drogo boiling tar on him and then throws feathers. And as he's dying or dead, like carries him around. It's just, I haven't been close to that. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so, wow. Like yeah. what What a blessing to not to not have that going on. Um, no, so yeah, I imagine. I mean, I think there are actions you have to take to flow, to re- raise your bar there but mm-hmm. i think if you can identify where you're lost you know what i mean then mm-hmm. you can i think take your own action steps to get there it's it funny. doesn't even have to yeah. be that intense it can be journaling you know what i mean just journaling about what you're grateful for well the action steps are so we've talked about them before because it's like okay i don't have gratitude but like turn off instagram because that's just a bunch of people telling you that they're do they're doing it better and that mm-hmm. life could be so much better than it currently is yeah and read a historical novel or like watch a video about what's going on in a third world country or or any of that kind of stuff yeah who's the guy i forget that he he talks to people who are burn victims or he's got a youtube channel oh wow special books by special kids that is ridiculously good for compassion gratitude uh that'll that sets you straight every single time very good channel yeah so yeah, I just thought it was interesting if I if you if I can keep them. There's too many to remember, honestly. I wish it were like four yeah. colors, but yeah. <laughs> I, honestly, with four you'll be fine. Just pick your favorite four. Yeah, you're gonna be okay if you're missing any of them. Um, okay, so I got I, I wrote a bunch of things because I've been doing this history stuff. So I'm reading about Lincoln. Uh, here's here's a hypothetical question. You are president of the United States in roughly 1830. Okay, what do you do? Do you abolish slavery? Do you uh, like? slavery is occurring mm-hmm. in the United States in the South. They're into it, man. Mm-hmm. They're super into it. The huge thing that winds up causing the Civil War is that these new states are being admitted to the Union, and Lincoln and many people's policy is containment of slavery, which is just like, okay, you've got your slaves. Don't bring them anywhere else. And they're not satisfied with that. The compromises that they make are constantly like, okay, one free state, one slave state, one free state, one slave state. They want to expand slavery as the United States grows hmm. um and so they do that sorry for, what is ha- i didn't realize that this was happening during lincoln's time was when they expanded from 13 states to well not lincoln 20, so, so the, the 1800s were uh the kansas nebraska act they're going the further, missouri further compromise west, basically they're going further west okay. in in the 
early to mid 1800s, states are being added. Got it. So Will they be thir- slaves? So there's 13 states. There's two more being added. Mm-hmm. I'm a northerner. I want to make both of them. Slavery is illegal. You're you're you with your sensibilities, but you're president of the United States. Yeah, yeah. you're a powerful. But, oh, sorry, person. but you're saying if I'm the president, I'm like, okay, right now we're split. Seven states say slavery is illegal. Six say it's legal. Now we're going to add two more. I say that slavery is illegal in both. And yeah. you're saying the six below me like are going to riot. Well, here's They're what gonna... you'd like to do. You'd like to go no more slavery. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you're all done uh, and it's over. But what's fascinating about reading these books is that might have completely destroyed the nation. Slavery might have lasted for far more than another 25 or 30 years. Like if done at the wrong time, because the North was this, they argue, at least in the book that I'm reading, is that Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation like at the exact time that it could tip the favor. He it, The war had already started um, and he issued it at the exact time that people would get on board with it and not abandon ranks in greater amounts than they would join the army. So they were losing a lot of the battles the North was once the Civil War had started. And he had wanted to abolish slavery but had been settled to containment. And it was only after they started losing, he's like, look, we're going to lose some people when we do emancipation, but we're also going to get some to join and we'll be able to conscript blacks into the army. But not even initially. They weren't even going to bring blacks in. They were just going to try to get them to stop helping the South where they were like digging all the trenches and fighting. Yeah, yeah. I guess the thing that I was thinking about that I'm kind of asking is even with ultimate power today or in 1830, you are weirdly impotent to create a moral world <laughs> and oh, moral yeah. change. Dude, like, look at Obama. Obama wanted to make universal health care so badly. And yeah. he got this like crippled version of his initial dream because yeah. he needed the Senate to sign off on it. Mm-hmm. And he just he just was giving concessions every step of the way as they ratified different and different versions. Like what we have that we call Obamacare was is not at all what he was hoping for. You know what I mean? It's yeah, just yeah. the best he could do. Um, so I think we see that even today. So, Except for going to war. Bush did that <laughs> no one stopped him. No one stopped him. Uh, it's just fascinating because you're like, okay, you're president of the United States today. Let's say you have your opinion on factory farming. History might look back at you as James Buchanan, the guy before Abe Lincoln, the guy who just didn't do it. You yeah. know, and you're saying if Biden or Trump thinks that factory farming and slaughterhouses is the great, is, is the greatest is like evil being stain on yeah. our integrity and our morality. What do they do? Yeah. Do they issue an edict? Do they make a movie? Do they set a cultural precedent? And it's weird because in order to make positive change, the best way at what I took from this is not we're going to go the full hundred yards on the football field. Like if you're going from utilitarian practical perspective, yeah. and this is kind of what the framers of the Constitution I'm learning, or at least these books say, is that Jefferson, who had slaves, wrote into the first draft of the Declaration of Independence that he's like, and we're done with slavery. And like, no, we're going to lose the South. This We need we need a united front against them. And they, mm. there's no way. They don't even really want to fight Britain in the first place. Mm. <laughs> so we can't do that. And so they had to kick the can, kick the can, um, even when they might have liked to otherwise. And well, it just the, makes me think that this is happening today. Yeah. Well, weirdly s- <laughs> enough, we're, so like if I'm uh, Putin, right, or if I'm the president of China, then I would do what I thought was best. That's, <laughs> that's my job. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Like my job is to do what I think is best. My job, we've talked about this. My job as president is not to do necessarily what I want, right? It's to represent the people. So if it were me, I would be like, okay, guys, like, I think we should get rid of factory farming. This is going to make meat more expensive and you're going to get less of it. But this is also today's version of slavery. Yeah. 
what do you guys think? And I think I get downvoted uh, horribly. And then I think my job becomes trying to convince the populace to want that. Because I, I don't think my job as president is just to tell everybody that they're dumb and they have to do what I so let me say, right? Well, this is the thing. Lincoln, who is widely considered the greatest or the second greatest president, uh, the Emancipation Proclamation is completely unconstitutional. He's depriving them of property, which is established, and he recognizes this. Mm -hmm. It's a completely unconstitutional But, did, but I thought his constituents were on board with the idea. Oh, he worked, I mean, according to this, it was like the razor's edge of the right time. So he wrote it six months before, mm -hmm. and they're like, not yet. <laughs> so it was, his constituents were not on board. What he is, uh, at least this particular historian thinks he is amazing at, is the timing of like waiting for the bridge to just be ready to be built, where... And then and then doing it to like move the needle with the war and get more people on board. Yeah. So I'm saying maybe if I have four years, my job in year one is to like get the idea out there. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, and I'm like, in year three, I'm gonna push this. Well, this is kind of what Lincoln is that he was containment, 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 and he was like, you get you get to keep them, you get to keep them, and even but also then you might just wind up as James Buchanan, who like 200 years down the line is just the guy who went. Well, he didn't go for it in year three. It might not have been time. It wasn't time till Lincoln's year three. It wasn't time till Lincoln's year four or five. So I, I was just, uh, I don't have the answer, but I was thinking like, if you want to move the world forward morally in such a way that you care what posterity says, and you can kind of see the angle of how the moral world will shape, uh, edicts won't do it. <laughs> like telling people what to do, there's, there's this practical uh, understanding that needs to happen. And weirdly enough, the best thing you could do might not be to be the president, it might be to, in that time, write the book or create the documentary or change like the cultural tone mm -hmm. enough so that somebody who does have that like presidential executive power can then write. Well, honestly, the president might just be able to control. There's so many farming subsidies. They actually yeah. might just be able to stop subsidizing in such a way that they could get the outcome they wanted in, in farming specifically, which is like, you want me to keep buying mm -hmm. all the corn, mm -hmm. <laughs> which I think should have been a dead business without government intervention? you're gonna treat cows better. You know sure, what I mean? You sure. could actually probably, just because they're already so much farming stuff that you might be able to just go to the table and be like, here's what I can do. I think Americans would absolutely impeach that guy. If, if well, he you can't impeach him, can you? I think if somebody- He might not get a second term. If you can't eat, I'm dead serious. If you can't eat bacon and steak and you can't post it on your Instagram. I mean, I was just on Instagram after I was looking at this, checking it out because I wanted to see what people were broadcasting. They broadcast- and, I'm, and if you're out there, <laughs> I'm not trying to be mean to anybody because I, two things, I recognize how hard it is when you're mired in a culture to step outside of it, but two, that it's ineffective to make people feel like shit. It is the flesh of tortured animals that they cooked nicely and are showing to all of their people. It's like, it, there's a degree of uh, complete lacking of understanding mm -hmm. of how this is gonna be viewed and what is involved in this. And these people would revolt if you told them that they couldn't have bacon. If you yeah, told them yeah, they couldn't have cows. Said, what if I just said you got to go kill it yourself? What if uh, I started? What if I started small? They'd revolt. They'd they'd kill you. <laughs> I, I don't know that you would make it. Then I go down. I go down a martyr. <laughs> Maybe, but you, and again, you'd be a martyr. You would be uh, Harper's Ferry. You know, the, fir the the first slave who stood up and and just had a revolt and was killed and maybe made things worse and maybe postponed it by five years. I don't, I'm not saying Harper's Ferry was that particular thing because yeah, yeah. I don't know enough about the history. You're saying that I'm not Martin Luther King at best, I'm Malcolm X. <laughs> I'm, I'm saying the best way to make the world a better place is not by marching down the field at 100%. It's, if, if Lincoln is right, it's recognizing where you are in time and taking steps that history 
if you're Buchanan, for instance, he might have done the exact right thing. Like maybe slaves could not have been freed feasibly up until the day the Emancipation Proclamation was signed. And if you're James Buchanan, the term before, there's nothing you could do except like try to set the stage for people to evolve to that level. Yeah, I wonder. I don't know. It seems a, it seems a little bit hard, far-fetched to think that Lincoln was like the first person that could have done it. Like that, the society went so perfectly that he was the the, the first person that yep. could do it, did it. Yep. That's the part I find hard to believe. You're probably right. You're probably right because that's too perfect. But what what I am really compelled is that it was it was on a hair's edge. It was very, very close. Sure. It took just, a brilliant I, I, man to to pull it off. I don't know enough about James Buchanan, but I'm just saying yeah. if it was his goal day one, he might have been able to have his first two years mm -hmm. such that maybe the Civil War starts sooner. Yeah. But like by year three, he's able to do it. I don't know. Let's and take, maybe it wasn't his yeah. number one goal. I have no idea anything about James Well, take universal health care just as an example and assume that it's a good thing for the sake yeah. of this argument. Weirdly enough, Barack Obama might have been able to get a real single-payer system set up faster by not doing what he did, by like instead just setting the stage in a different way. Because right now, I hate Obamacare. I think it's such a crappy system. It costs more money. I get less. I hate the enrollment period. I'm still game for universal health care, but I'm turned off to, to the solutions that I've seen. And mm -hmm. he might have, weirdly enough, taken a step backwards, and we might now get it five to ten years later than we would have had he not behaved in that way. Or maybe we'll get a five to 10 maybe, years faster. I was going to say, maybe maybe the thing is doing it the way he did it sets it up to be done well maybe. sooner, if that makes sense. Like maybe he's going to, he's not going to have the glamorous be the Lincoln, mm -hmm. but maybe he's the guy that sets it up so whoever wins after Biden sure. has a chance to. Because they're like, hey, we're going to fix this pre-existing thing we have called Obamacare and we're going to make it work. Mm -hmm. But if it didn't, it didn't exist, maybe they would need to, make the broken one now so that in 12 years the good one could come out totally right uh, that that's all a possibility and what i was just seeing was i think if you look at history you go why did they do this sooner why didn't they do that sooner and it's just very unclear as you're alive in the present tense how your actions are positively or negatively moving the ball forward for what you'd like to happen such that change happens in you know 30 50 years on, yeah, a, yeah. on a social level so i don't know the answer i was like what would i do if i was president in 1830 you got to go down there and like shake hands with the plantation owners and like assure them that you're not, don't worry. Like, this is totally cool. Like, we're not even going to, we're not even going to give you, uh, they were going to give reparations to the plantation owners for taking their property. And even that was a, no way. We can't do that. Hmm. Um, so it just seems, yeah, man, being alive in a, in an immoral world, even with a ton of power is super, super hard. Hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. I have, empathy for forefathers who really might have wanted to do more but found for themselves president. Dude, yeah. no matter who like yeah for, since i've been alive clinton bush obama trump like mm -hmm. no matter where you stand it looks like a really hard job yeah. it looks like it's very stressful not clear cut it looks like even if you try to do your best a lot of people hate you you're not entirely sure what the right call is mm -hmm. even with a like picking something that I, I don't I'm going to not comment on the morality of it at all, but uh, Obama getting Osama bin Laden is like largely lauded as good and a success by most people in the US. Right. He still said that was like a knife's edge decision. Yeah. Yeah. Making it the last. It like, wrong. We got to go. We got to go. Been there. And we got to go <laughs> yeah. right now. We're going to lose him. And he and yeah. it was not something he was like flipping about. You yeah. know what I mean? And that was for that's for a decision that only a couple years later, 
largely everyone in the U.S. is like, that was great. Easy mm-hmm. call. Glad we did it. He's still he's still losing sleep. You know what I mean? So I, the, the one thing I'm very confident about is that being the president is is stressful, largely thankless and hard. And there's a ton of luck, which you just said. We talked about Eisenhower and D-Day. It's just, oh, brilliant move. It's like I couldn't control all the pieces. Like, yeah, thank yeah. God that it that I made a bet with a 70 percent chance of paying out. And it did. Or I made a bet with a 15 percent chance of paying out. And it did. Yeah, yeah. And I look like a genius at the end of the day. Uh, so it's man living is hard (laughs) well being president is hard (laughs) yeah i uh was reading so the book that i'm reading the woman has a master class and this is more of a business point for you and i to think about i mentioned this to you but the book is this thick and the master class is 60 minutes and the master class costs 95 dollars, and the book costs nine dollars yeah sorry you're saying there's more content in the book more content in the book more thorough more this but her, her master class on leadership which is just a few points of her speaking more slowly than I am capable of reading yep. uh, is 10 times more expensive. And it was just interesting t- to me, which I know how the format and the wrapper mm-hmm. of a piece of information is more determinant of the value that people will pay and that it sure. commands than the information itself. Yeah. But I also think the format and the wrapper determine how impactful the information is. Mm-hmm. I'll give you like an obvious example. I can sit on this podcast and say, Guys, at the end of the day, there's no reason to fear death because we don't know what happens <laughs> next, but it's not necessarily bad. It's probably going to be like what your experience was before birth, which it's not pain. It's not yeah. sorrow. So just like release that fear of death. Completely unimpactful. Yeah. When you wrap it in doing ayahuasca. Yeah, yeah. And the message is exactly the same, but it comes through whatever your impression of what ayahuasca is, you take away a lot more. And so it's possible that even though her book is longer, you read a book, you get halfway through, you're like, I kind of get it. You throw it away. You're on to the next book. If you pay $95 and hear her say it with her hand motions and maybe it's more your focus, who knows? Like maybe she actually makes better leasers with her course. It's possible. Even though it has less information in it. It's possible. I tend to believe in books actually for that, but your point is is well taken. Um, Well, so here's a good example. The Tony Robbins books are pretty much the same information as his audio course and as his in-person program. But I have seen a lot of people read his book and put it down because it's a little bit complicated, kind of mm-hmm. hard to read. Go to the audio program. If they commit to do his daily actions, they find it life-changing. But the most life-changing is when he screams at you for eight hours. <laughs> and then all you do is call your dad yeah, yeah. or quit your job or something that you, you do. You do one thing. It's, it takes and I could have I could have put it on a billboard. Like, call your dad, tell him you love him. Yeah. Quit your job. <laughs> yeah. mo- like, fly over to see your like whatever let's say you're doing a long distance relationship yeah. and it's ruining your relationships like quit your job fly to your girlfriend yeah um you need the rapper though mm-hmm. of the thousand people screaming and the seven hours of tony hyping you up so that you do the thing that is in hindsight or to other people potentially really obvious yep and so yeah for him at least i feel like his book is to me far less life-changing than his audio program and I know that some people, personally, I found the audio program one. The best, yeah. But I know some people find his in-person thing was the most impactful. So it's... Well, information, it's, what you're highlighting is that information is actually not what creates change correct. in people. It's it's an ability to create an experience that, that makes an opening or mm-hmm. puts them in a particular state. Uh, I didn't quit my job because it was the first time I'd heard that there were entrepreneurs. Yeah. It wasn't that Tim Ferriss was the first person who was like, hey, did you know people start businesses? And I was like, what? <laughs> I have a job? What am I doing? But it was the way he gave the information. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? No, and the stories that he told and that th- were critical. Right. If, if I look at his book and I strip out all the fluff, all the stories, it doesn't it's work. It's way worse. It's, it's way it's, worse. It's, no, it's infinitely the, worse. The genius of the book is how it's 
formatted with the stories. Yeah. Um, this is partially why I think that, uh, and I don't mean to, to pick on anyone in particular, but like those services that uh, they've offered to sponsor us that like roll up books and give you a one pager on the book. Oh, yeah, yeah. To me are useless and defeat the point. No, there's a book called Essentialism and I will describe the entire book for you. Yeah. Do the most important thing. Don't worry about other stuff. Yeah. No one's life has changed right now. But yeah. the book tells you so many stories and different ways to apply it. And it gives you terms like a Herbie. Yeah. And when you finish the book, I've seen a lot of business owners become more successful because mm -hmm. of it. But if I just gave them the bullet points of it, yeah. they would read it, understand it completely, throw it out, but not internalize any sure. of it. Does that make sense? Totally. I feel like information is mostly about how can you get someone to internalize the fact or the mm -hmm. truth? Because just telling them it is useless. Well, I think about this from our perspective, which sometimes we go, oh man, we haven't, uh, we need to create new content, new stuff. And it actually seems to me what we need to do is identify the most impactful things that we've done. And then instead of being like, uh, how can I find new things? It's what is the perfect wrapper mm -hmm. for this such that someone will reliably act on it? Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't know. And it's just, a, it's a different question than, oh, how do I say something different in this breakdown? Yeah, yeah. How do I say something novel in this breakdown? It's the more effective thing is how do I give them the thing that I've said a million times, but they'll actually do it. Well, that's what Chrism University is supposed to be, right? Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And then it's it's because you pay because it's broken into days because it's twenty minutes because there's an action guide because, because tells there's you an exactly action guide what to do. Yes, go click below, baby. <laughs> Chrism uh, University. No, and I have so, a question for you. You talked about content that's most impactful. The we often focus on views, and I think that that's a great metric. But one of the most impactful two of the most impactful videos you've ever made are when you share about your life. Yeah. Which we found largely 200,000 people want to know about and then not a single person above that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? They don't go viral. Yeah. But they're the ones that people come most often come speak. up to you and yeah. say, your video on ayahuasca, your video on your ex-girlfriend, uh, life-changing. Mm -hmm. Does that make you want to make that content more? Is that content hard to make because you're so vulnerable? Is it hard to focus on because there's no, you don't get to, you don't have no way to measure lives we, changed we have no dashboard for that that's what it is if i had a dashboard with that i'd make way more videos mm. about it if, if we could track that but every time i log into youtube it tells me views watch time and subscribers yeah. uh which naturally does not ever make me think to make another video there's no metric on people who remember it a year from now yes and so that's a problem i think uh i don't it's tougher to track mm. it's it's you can see it in the sentiment in the comments, and I can see it in what people tell me what video has has hit them when they they see me, and it's yeah. like thirty to fifty percent of them will will reference one of two. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, no, it's it's just because it's not tracked. It's that's it's what you what you what is it what you what, measure what gets, gets measured what gets measured gets managed. Yes, and so I'm not managing for you guys can tweet that. I just came up with that. <laughs> <laughs> Who actually said Ben it? Altman? Drucker. Drucker? I think so. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it'd be cool to have that and to to do that because it would automatically steer us in different directions. But mm. it hasn't even occurred to me to talk about my life on the channel in over a year or two at mm. this point. Interesting. I always thought it was just because it's, it's not necessarily fun. No, when I think about it, I go, this video is going, so on YouTube, when you log in, if you, you have a thing, it says how your most recent video did, one of 10, two of 10, and then it has the 10 most recent. And I was like, this is a 10 of 10. You yeah. know, <laughs> I just, 
we try not to make 10 of 10s. Yeah. We work really hard to not make 10 of 10s. Uh, so that's why. Interesting. And I haven't even, it hasn't even occurred to me beyond the podcast to talk about anything in my life. Huh. Yeah, it's a well, shame. You have my blessing. Yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, probably worth doing one of. I don't know what I would talk about, but uh, I'll, I'll do it. There'll be another soon. I'll do a MDMA therapy five takeaways, which is not a title that anybody cares about. <laughs> <laughs> No, that would do well. I think five take, well, do well. I think it'd be a good video. Five takeaways from MDMA therapy. I think what I need, and again, just to put it in the most effective wrapper, that's not what I would call it. I would call it what people want to know is uh, breakups they like, they like marriages, why I'm quitting YouTube. And so I'd have to find the wrapper that allowed me to then segue mm -hmm. into MDMA therapy that was also. How many of those videos do you think you can make before the FBI just knocks on your door? It's like, hey. <laughs> so, like, Joe Rogan's mentioned smoking DMT. Like I think I'm okay. 9,000 times. I think I'm okay. I'm yeah. so surprised that they don't just go like, hey, where do you get your DMT from? Yes. No, I, I have the sense that Joe is going to go down first. So <laughs> I'll, have, I'll have heads up. This is something I love James Clear. His writing, I think, is great. He wrote something that sounded really good when I read it. I was like, ooh, wow. But then subsequently reflected on and didn't really i don't see it in my life so i was just curious if you are like oh yeah this is a thing or if it doesn't vibe with you or whatever it's called the diderot effect we talked about this i think you mentioned it it's just the idea that went so this guy diderot doesn't have a lot of money he gets given a beautiful scarlet velvet robe as a gift and then when he's walking around his house everything else just looks shitty compared to his new beautiful robe so all of a sudden he's buying new couches he's buying new carpets he's a philosopher and at the end of the day, he's like, I just spent a bunch of money for a bunch of stuff that doesn't make me happy. Like, what happened? I was not a materialistic person. And he, it's named after him. I don't know if he named it after himself or what. Basically says, like, it's when you, it's a spiral of consumption from when you get one new possession and all of a sudden you buy a bunch of stuff. To keep up with that new possession. And at the end of the day, you just buy a bunch of stuff that your previous self never needed to feel happy. Mm -hmm. So, like, getting one nice thing makes it so that now you think you need all this other stuff mm -hmm. and it's just harder to be happy now i don't does that is that a thing that you have seen in the world yeah i mean i'm sure well actually the getting one nice thing i could imagine it with a new home that's the one i haven't done it but i i am looking if my parents come out here i'm looking to get a home for them with them i don't know but I could imagine if you get the home that you like that's yours, then it's like, well, I'm not going to get a shitty couch, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I want to get the nice home, and then I want to get the nice couch, and then it should it should be accompanied by a good table. And these are things that when I was growing up, I despised. Anytime my the family, nice table. anytime they spent money on a piece of furniture, I was like, that is like 30 video games that you just play. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> that is ridiculous. I could be so happy for the rest of my life with the money of this thing that you're going to sit on. Uh, so I have not seen it yet really in my own life. Cause yeah. Justin, is that something that vibes with you? He was saying to watch out for it. It's going to affect your life. And then normally I love James's stuff, but I was like, I don't really vibe. I don't feel this, but I wonder if I'm just not yeah, paying not, attention. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Um, after you buy like a nice pair of boots, it's like really difficult to go back. But do you uh, want to buy nicer pants to match your boots and then a nicer shirt to match your nice pants? Yeah. I think the logic goes, if you have a nice pair of boots that, serves you really well in the winter like imagine what a nice pair of pants could do and then a nicer jacket then you're the coolest guy in the block at that point yeah maybe yeah i don't have clothes that are nice i don't have i don't know i, I could see that it would happen that the place where i can most clearly imagine it is with a house because that's something that i've been looking at but I, I tend not to spend money on that kind of stuff yeah 
I wonder if it's if you think that that stuff's well, obviously you buy stuff because you think it's going to make you happy, right? I wonder if that when you do that, you think that the nice couch is going to make you happy for you or you think it's going to make you happy when you entertain. Uh, well, I also suspect that the actual way that things work is you imagine this couch like as a great thing. You get it. It doesn't work. And part of your brain is like, well, we just need more, like, more of that. It doesn't pay attention. This is yeah. why one of the things that I always try to do is not force myself to change my behaviors, but instead pay attention to what's working and what's not working. But yeah, it just seems like a lack of awareness to how's this consumption spiral going for you so far? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you had expected the couch to work and then you expected the table to work and you expected it all to work. So this goes back to your idea that awareness is a superpower. Yeah, not my idea, but... You came up with it. <laughs> An idea that, that I hold, yeah. Who came up with it? Probably the Buddha. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm not really sure. Uh, he was definitely one of the first. So, okay. well, maybe not. There's probably people prehistory that, that figured that one out. You, know, you actually said something about how living is hard. And I, I think it's funny. I wonder if that's only true if you tried to like do more than you should. I, I often fluctuate between this idea that we're supposed to be as successful as possible, as ambitious as possible, as a man, you build your empire with the idea that probably just like having a small house and a family and a job that you don't hate. Mm -hmm. is like a pretty solid ticket to being happy. happy. No, no, I 100% agree. I was just thinking that that tax collector probably wasn't super ambitious. He was just doing his job. Hmm. Then he was tarred and feathered. Yep. Uh, and that's that's what I meant. Like, got it. it it's just a uh, bad stuff happens by other people, by nature, by you know things that you would prefer not to happen Got occur. It. Yeah, because I said being present was hard. I, I guess I was reflecting on it being pre it's harder to be happy as president than as a plumber. It was tough to be happy eh, at the Battle of Antietam, and you know, it, like it was there was there's people. All, it was tough to be happy if you were a slave. It was tough to be happy in a lot of places of Civil War America, not just the White House. Uh, yeah. Well, this is kind of what's this is the new thing about today, I feel like in the US. Mm -hmm. It's like we don't really have that in great numbers anymore. People mm -hmm. are just just dying of hardship. The idea that what's crazy, which was true for so much of history, that that nature would kill you is shocking to us. When there's an earthquake on the other side of the world, we're like, oh, oh my gosh, you know, or that there's a tsunami. Nature so often takes people's lives. You have to wander off the hiking trail and get lost to starve to death. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's just, it doesn't happen anymore. It doesn't compute to most Americans. Yeah. Do you think it's weird that we view death as a tragedy instead of as just a part of life? life? Like I'm sure there's other cultures well, that we don't. mentioned, I think we talked about this, that I I can't remember the last time I saw a body, which is ridiculous and insane. I'm 33 years old and the, the body that I saw was some formaldehyded grandparent and not a corpse that was bleeding because it had been attacked by another person or an animal or that I'd walked into a room, you know, that's insane yeah, yeah. that we have this entire thing of life that we have so successfully separated from our everyday experience. Uh, and it's amazing because that just, that was not true a hundred years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, we've just banished death to the morticians and to, <laughs> to the movies and to all of this kind of stuff, which is, Probably not a good thing, it seems to me. Well, that's, yeah, that's that's what I was actually just thinking. Is we act like it's um, like it's a it's a fail. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? <laughs> if you die. Yeah. And, and I think at some point it was just like, yeah, this is what happens. This is why we have seven kids because three aren't going to make it past five years old. And I don't mean in like 10,000 BC. I mean in like post the 
American Revolution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? It's just like, oh yeah, of course, it's sad. My wife died in childbirth, as one does. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And now it's it seems like it's like just a horrible tragedy every single time. Yes, and I think it was always sad and a tragedy, and uh, it, you were just, I think, more aware of the possibility probably before mm-hmm. because you'd seen bodies and seen it happen and it could happen, but yeah, I don't, I don't know the way to I'm not saying it's it. damaging. I'm just curious. I wonder if our relationship with death is in a bad spot because of how successfully we have avoided it. It... I don't know that it's gotten worse or better throughout history because I haven't paid attention or studied. But I do know that one of the things that people get when they do psychedelics that seems to improve their life a lot is a different relationship with death, is a different sense of what it is to, you know, a different lack of terror around it. Um, That's what they treat people that are like terminal with cancer. They give them psilocybin and then Mm. they often come back and they're like, okay, I'm not afraid. Hey, <laughs> Oregon. We didn't talk about yeah, it. Yeah, man. Psilocybin. Psilocybin's alive. Is it illegal or just decriminalized? Uh, so I think every drug is decriminalized. I think okay. all drugs, but you can treat people at licensed clinics with psilocybin. Big day. Big day. Who would have thought? War on drugs. Drugs would win. <laughs> yeah, I saw that meme. Um, yeah, so we are going to, we've got a couple of, uh, what are they called? Conferences that are yeah. digital conferences that we'll be attending to check out how Now's to do this kind of stuff. We're moving to Oregon. Moving to Oregon. No, but might might set up a partnership or a center or a thing. I think we're going to be moving at medium slow speed for, for the time being, but certainly when it's available in California, to me, that's just like, oh my gosh, now I can finally recommend people go to this and start to try to find the right place or i want to go i actually want to partner i think it's gonna be two years before it's legal in california i think we're just another election cycle yeah so yeah i want to go up to oregon see if we can find a good spot Mm because we get hit up because of the podcast and because of the channel all the time would love to do psychedelics is there somewhere safe and legal i can do them in the u.s now there's going to be yeah Yeah, exactly very very soon i'm Um, just saying it's just such a top corner of the u.s all i'm saying is expect some business expenses for me yeah all mushrooms (laughs) So I find a good one that we can recommend to our audience. Yeah, I think that's a completely legitimate business. Yeah, I'm doing my due diligence. <laughs> doing my due diligence for our listeners so that they can go somewhere good. Awesome. All right, let's do questions. Well, first, unless we you have, have anything else, did you? No. Oh well, actually, this thing. We have a video that Ben wanted to show. I okay. wanted to show you this. I'm wired in. This is a PSA. You can't believe anything you see these days. These glasses aren't even real. Neither is my face. All this stuff was 3D tracked on using these dots that I drew on with this marker. Actually, the marker isn't real either. Neither is the background. Or my face. Have a good night. <laughs> I did think the second face. I was like, something's not right about that second face. Dude, did you think about the first face? I didn't. No, I didn't. I didn't at all. Nothing uh, is real. The deep fake is here. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty much ready to see videos of celebrities saying things online or the president giving speeches on YouTube and just knowing that it's not real, which means it's now impossible for me to consume anything unless mm. I'm in person. And how long will that last? You know what I mean? <laughs> like how long no, before dude, you were wearing Google glasses and it's it's somebody's hacked it. That's what I'm saying. You're like, oh, yeah, I saw the president said this after the election night. Well, how long is that going to be a, a viable way to say what you thought the president said? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like genuinely. Let's say you're a bad actor. You hate either candidate. You want to make that video. Yeah. You can do it. Well, you this can is... do it. You can spread it around. It'll get 10 million views. How are you going to get to every single person and say that it's not true? Because for instance, when they 
had the war on drugs and they said MDMA puts holes in your brain or LSD puts holes in your brain, that went viral. Yeah, yeah. Then they redacted it and it made it to like 10% of people who were like, oh, turns out that's fake, which means 90% of people still think the lie. So I guess here's that's the, what's going to happen yeah. when you deep fake the president. Well, here's so I guess here's the good news is that as I think about it, what you're saying is that the ability to lie convincingly is improving and mm -hmm. the ability to widely circulate that is is remaining the same. <laughs> you know, I mean, we already have the internet. Mm -hmm. um, fortunately, I don't know that that is such a different uh, way that the world has been. Now, and this is gonna offend some people, but we live in a very religious world where many people believe all variety of miracles that I find very implausible. So I guess the good news is that we already live in a world that has been deep faked, in my opinion, about fundamental things that has led to all sorts of different clashes of how the world works. So yes, <laughs> 100% crazy shit's gonna happen. I'm just saying we will ne like you'll never be able to know if what you're watching is real or not. So you'll, you're never gonna be able to go, oh yeah, the president said that. I think we're, yeah, we've talked about this. All, all the ways uh, that you can cut something, there was the fine people thing with Donald Trump where 20 seconds later he says, I'm not talking about white supremacists. That became a, a big point that was made on ads and all that kind of stuff. Fortunately, and I do agree with you, you're gonna have to distrust your eyes even more, but it's not a fundamental shift, I actually don't think. I already think you can't trust your eyes. I already think But I don't think spread. the majority of people agree with that. I think the majority of people who watch the news and yeah. see a clip think it's representative of reality. 100%, 100%, and they'll continue and they'll believe the deepfakes. If anything good happens, the deepfakes will convince people to perhaps be a bit more skeptical, though I doubt that. I do think that's coming at some point, but I think yeah. we're gonna have just a really rough year <laughs> where people don't realize that there are deep fakes. So the one thing that I did wanna mention, which uh, that the election to me made clear is the Twitter, Facebook, context adding, tweet deleting, I'm officially over that. <laughs> I We've talked about the problem with the fact that a lie can harm people and that you would ideally in a world where say people were there was a deadly, deadly, deadly virus, mm -hmm. a million times deadlier than coronavirus, and somebody told an effective lie that it wasn't deadly and it wound up killing a lot of people. Ideally, someone would prevent that from occurring. But it definitely should not be unelected employees of Twitter, Facebook, and Google. So I don't know how we need, like, what the Ministry of Truth should be, if there should be. It seems like it's not so simple as to say that, um, or maybe it is, that anything can be spread and shared, no matter how fake. But... I do not like a bunch of people that, in my opinion, share very, very similar worldviews and ideologies making the calls about what can spread from mm -hmm. these tech companies, especially when it's something like, even if Donald Trump is ridiculous, you can't censor the president of the United States. Well, like, that's important information for people sure to can. get. Y you can. You sure can. can. Um, add context. Add this. Like, uh, Yeah, so I don't like that. That needs to change. I think that we are... It reminds me of what I'm reading about Teddy Roosevelt. We're at the stage where you need to break these companies up. They need to be, the government needs to come in, not as a peer of these companies, but as a representative body of the populace mm -hmm. that that goes, no, 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 this is not how we're gonna do things. You are destroying the ability uh, for free flow of information. And that's not gonna happen anymore. Yeah, well, wait, wait, I don't wanna beat it to death because we talked about it a lot, I think last week, but at some point, there has to be a line drawn in the sand and you're, you either are a platform or you're not. Mm -hmm. 
And the second you say you're a platform and then act like you're not a platform, mm -hmm. you're a monopoly. Because mm -hmm. the only way that the, yeah. the reason they're not broken up is because they're not considered monopolies. And the reason they're not monopolies is because they're platforms. Yeah. So the second that they step out of line of being a platform, I think you just got to go, congratulations, you're a monopoly. And they all have. They all have. So, yeah, I think I think it's time to draw a line and just be like, OK. Are there community service guidelines for being on the phone? No. You know what I mean? Like, you don't have yeah, community. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. oh, we're cultivating a community that suits what we like. No. OK, you're not a platform anymore, which is fine. Yeah. Like, No, you can uh, be a company. Yeah. Bad news, you're a monopoly. Yeah. So we're going to break you up. Yeah. And, and one I of those actually, two things has to happen. I actually have no problem with just being like, listen, we fucked up in the past mm -hmm. because we let you guys play both sides. That's our bad as the government. Mm -hmm. We'll own that. Gen 1 2021, you all get to pick if you're a platform or not. <laughs> if you say we're going to hold you to it, yeah. You say platform. <laughs> we're going to investigate. As soon as you act yeah. like you're not a platform, you give up the right to be a platform. Let's go. Yeah. And just go from there. And like they all know what the actual definition of a platform is. They can figure out what they mm -hmm. can and can't do and just let it play out. Yes. Uh, Dude, can you imagine if your phone did censor you the way that they do? <laughs> You're just saying something they don't like, and you, the other person online just hears the Charlie Brown teacher all of a sudden. Yeah, yeah wah, it's crazy. Wah, wah, wah. Sorry, did you say something Sorry. about COVID? We're going to add context to I this. I can't really hear you. Sorry, uh, excuse me. This is the operator here. Charlie said that COVID isn't real. Let's add some context. What he meant to say, <laughs> yeah, like that would never. Yeah, that's actually a nice analogy. I hadn't heard anyone say. It's like, yeah, just imagine if if your phone did this. It's ridiculous, uh, and it has to stop, and it will. <laughs> uh, it's it's to me is. I have not yet heard a compelling argument against. I'm open to it, but I don't mind them being either. Just to be clear, I don't yeah. care if Twitter is a platform or if Twitter is a company. I really don't care at all. I just want them to pick which one they are, and then we'll go from there. Mm -hmm. Just let them be whichever one they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, makes a lot of sense. So, and then they insist that they have so much competition, so much competition, <laughs> and dude. It's and this is why history is so interesting, man. It's so fascinating because at the turn of the uh, 18th, I guess, 1800s to 1900s, which is the turn of the 20th century, um, the same shit was happening. It was like the J.P. Morgans and were insisting that they were like not not all the same, the Rockefellers yeah. and the Morgans. It's so ridiculous. And it took, uh, I'm still reading it, but it took Teddy Roosevelt, who was like a ridiculous, crazy mofo, to just come in and antitrust bust the yeah. hell out of these guys. So uh, I think it needs to happen. Yeah, makes sense. From Facebook's perspective, though, it's amazing because they're like, we're not a monopoly. Look at Instagram. Yeah. Okay, well, we bought Instagram. But to be fair, what about Vine? What, what about Okay, WhatsApp? Instagram bought Vine. Technically, we own Instagram. But Twitter bought Vine. But but even so, it's uh, you guys also happen to have all the same beliefs, deplatform people all on the same day. Like, don't act like you're these wildly different yeah, yeah. Uh, organizations with completely different ethoses uh, that, are, that are seriously in competition. I'm actually shocked that from an ideological perspective. Yeah. If I'm a conservative coder, why don't I just make it's happening. conservative Twitter? Daily Wire's doing it. Yeah. That's a, that's three billion dollars right there. I don't know if it is. Uh, I think there's something to the network effect, which is like, how many more platforms do you want to be on? Do you want to go join one that is explicitly political? Nobody signed up for Twitter being like, I'm on the liberal. No, but you just say you just say it is. I think you could get forty percent of the users. They're, that's the direction they're moving. Yeah. So Daily Wire is trying. Dude, that's, that's it's making a big play. A free ten figure business right there maybe, for them. Maybe time will tell. But they're 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 moving at it. Yeah. Why not? We're getting censored. We're going to just be the and then you can either label yourself conservative or you can just label yourself the actual free speech platform mm -hmm. and people on the left won't be convinced by it. But people on the right will. And so like we could silo you can pick, further. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry. This echo chamber is for you. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, let's do questions.
First one is in a perfect society where everyone gets to pursue what they want. If it's in everyone's best interest to do something they enjoy so they don't hate their life, then who would do the jobs like janitor or accountant, consultant, etc.? I don't think that if you're looking at it from a societal perspective, you everyone want everyone want. to do no. everything that they want all sure. the time. That that was my thing. I was like, I don't, I don't agree with that premise. I think it totally depends. When I give advice, it's uh, to people who are watching the podcast, who are individuals who oftentimes in 2020, given their background, are best served individually to do what they want. And society can handle and some society people. can handle it unplugging from corporate America yeah. and becoming entrepreneurs. It can handle some people pursuing their passions. Just like, by the way, we, we are very well equipped to handle some people being professional athletes. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it would completely fall apart if every person in the U.S. decided they wanted to be a professional athlete and just started making the different versions of the NBA. Mm -hmm. We'd all starve to death in like a month. Yeah, and we'd be <laughs> tired of watching the NBA. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I. it's definitely not it's not universalizable. Like mm -hmm. you can't have everybody doing only fun things, at least now at, the, at our current stage of uh, not post scarcity. Uh, yeah. No, this is my <laughs> answer to people. Cause I, for a long time, I did non-monogamous relationships and also have no plans of having kids and have never really daydreamed of it. And people have been like, well, this is, this is crazy. If everyone lived like this, it would be a disaster. I was like, yeah, if everyone lived like this, we'd just die out and 60 years when the last of us died of old age like that's I'm why not, i'm not stumping for this i'm not saying that anyone else should do this it's just like my position for how to make myself happy mm -hmm. um but yeah i don't i don't have my societal prescriptions would look very different and uh it i think that might be a question of like the categorical imperative from a kantian perspective like wait a second don't you only try to do things that you could at the same time will everyone else could do uh and i think it, you clearly can't apply the categorical imperative narrowly to everything because like ben got a big tattoo on his left arm and he can't simultaneously will that everyone on that day goes to get a big tattoo on their left arm because or even beyond know tattoo artists. some people have to be have to be in charge of getting food yeah some people have to be in charge of getting food but not everybody if everybody yeah. is in charge of getting food we'll have no technological advancement yeah like not everyone can run uh charisma on command mm -hmm. but i hope if they do they donate $150,000 to charity water every year. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? I try to be like, given given who I am. And also I I'm, I make selfish decisions. Like mm -hmm. I use the veil of ignorance to inform myself with moral decisions. And I try to do right by the world and make the world a better place. But I also do things that are just good for me. Like every time I eat out at a sushi restaurant, that's the decision. Like I'd probably be better off if I were picking my own vegetables out of my backyard sure the other thing is that uh if you imagine a world where more people are pursuing their interests which is i think a good thing depending on the person and where they are mm -hmm. you would see the rates that we paid to consultants or other things go up and this is true of the least desirable jobs that are more dangerous and not fun and all those kinds of things you have to compensate people by being like okay there's not a big there's not a ton of people that want to spend eight years doing computer programming compared to the amount of computer programming that society is demanding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we have to pay them a lot of money. That's right. If no one wanted to go get food, then the people who did go get food would, would be, be very rich. Yeah. they that We need that. Yes. Um, so there is a bit of supply demand that would, you wouldn't be doing what you loved, but you'd be making an amount of money that, that you, you loved. That you loved. <laughs> um, but if you're out there and you're an individual listening to this, without knowing your story, I can say it's very likely that moving more towards what you find fascinating is going to improve the quality of your life yeah. as opposed to 
let me go make a ton of money. No, and if we moved to the spot where 100% of the world was Instagram influencers, we'd probably be on the podcast <laughs> being like, more people need to do things that provide value in the physical world. And I hope that nobody's uh, fascination is being an Instagram influencer. Yeah. I hope that if you're out there going, yep, what I'm going to do is take uh, well-angled photos of myself that make me look more attractive than I might in real life than I... I would encourage you to to look more deeply because that's not going to make you very happy. Yeah, well, and that's honestly not a passion if you remove the external validation. Mm -hmm. No, very, very few people actually just are in it for the good photo yeah, if yeah. they had to just light it on fire after they looked at it. Sure. Good question, though. Next is, I usually struggle to frame my sentences in order to ask a question or in order to answer a question and over explain, which tends to bore the other person. How can I learn to have a clear, shorter and crisp answer to make more impact during conversations? That's a good question. I think writing is probably a good exercise. I don't know how big of a problem this is, but certainly if you had a daily journal where you just got random questions given to you and then you had to answer them succinctly and you weren't allowed to erase and each mm -hmm. one had to be three sentences, you would get in the habit of nailing down the most precise, concise way to answer questions. Yeah. I've never been asked this, so I'm thinking through it right now. You probably are talking a lot because you don't know the most direct path to answer the question. So you just start speaking around it. And I think that some logical training might be useful. I don't really know where to go for it, but I, I think that understanding proofs and a bit of that and, and even just finding a YouTube channel where they talk about like logical argumentation is going to be very useful for you. And then to Ben's point, I think that writing uh, forces you to sharpen your mind. And what you'll probably do is you'll realize that if you write out an answer to a question and then you look at it, you'll find a lot of dead weight. Mm -hmm. You'll find a lot of preamble questions. You'll find a lot of stuff that's on the back end. So that that would be my off the cuff. Yeah, the other thing I would say is I think a lot of times people ramble because they're afraid of silence and they're afraid of silence because they think that they're going to get cut off because they don't have confidence that they're respected in the group. So I think that that working on your self-confidence, if that's where you're coming from is something that can be very helpful. Sometimes people get asked a question and they feel like they have to start talking right away because if they just pause and go, that's a good question. Then in that dead space, someone else will come in or cut them off or that the person they'll lose. Weirdly enough, you lose the person by rambling mm -hmm. because you're scared you're going to lose the person if you're not talking. It's the same reason people say, uh, and um, so there might be some confidence issues there. And if you, if you just focus on your confidence, weirdly enough, you might become more precise because you're more comfortable with silence. I think it's also important to check in with people. So it's a habit, it's a crutch, and maybe I can do it better. But I often say, does that make sense when I am on the phone or I can't read other people to see if they're highly engaged? Mm -hmm. And that doesn't just offer them an opportunity to say yes, which they often do. It offers them an opportunity to redirect me, be like, uh, well, actually this, or to take it in a different direction and indicate their level of interest in what I'm currently saying. Yeah. So that's Apparently I say, do. do you know what I mean? I'm getting memed for it in the comments. Yeah, yeah. Does that make sense? Do you know what I mean? Sure. I think, I think either one of those, just giving the other person an opportunity to interject and move things in the direction that they'd like to go is going to help steer you as well. You can also start short, say, you know what I mean? And if the person says, no, you lost me, you can double back. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But if they say, yeah, I get it, then you're like, cool. I'm done. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. My job here is done. <laughs> Next is, I'm a Norwegian doing my bachelor's in the UK. When I first arrived, my charisma was incredibly hamstrung by English being my second language. Hmm. As I got more comfortable and my English improved, it got easier. And now I consider myself as a charismatic guy or a charismatic guy in both languages. 
Interestingly, I think having to relearn the rules of the game in English made me more charismatic in Norwegian as well. Hmm. Do you think charisma is more a meta skill that you can attain at a high level in in a high level in and this then transfers across language and culture as soon as you understand the context slash master the language or is it something more local that can exist within certain domains? Hmm. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to go? I mean, I have an answer. Well, go ahead. So we have told the story a hundred times. My friend Austin from college, most charismatic guy I know, we go down to Costa Rica, doesn't speak a lick of Spanish, and is uh, very quickly able to establish himself as the most charismatic, attractive person in the room. He's literally talking to people who are professionally attractive, like cocktail waitresses. He's saying, me amo mis ojos, which I think means I love my own eyes. I love he's, myself, my eyes. He's trying to yeah. say you have pretty eyes. Yeah. And he's mayamo me so host, but he's loud, he's smiling, yeah. he's got great eye contact, he's gesticulating, and they are they're giggling up a storm as they try to understand what he's trying to say yeah. because they don't speak any English, but they're on him. You know what I mean? Attention fully on him in a way that you could walk up in Spanish and be like, oh hey, blah 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 blah. And then I just be like, oh sorry, like I'm working, I have to go deliver these drinks. So I do think there's aspects of charisma that just transcend speaking. But I also think that when you are hamstrung by language, it is very hard to say something intelligent or funny or whatever it is. And when I move to a country that I don't, I can't speak at all, I just speak in English because even if the person can't understand me, now we're both confused. <laughs> and if I try to speak their language, I'm just a moron and they under like it, uh, it's not a level playing field. Whereas if I'm speaking English and they don't understand me and they're speaking their language back and I don't understand them, at least now I'm not just <laughs> some moron in their language. So that was how I personally dealt with it because I do think that their your ability to communicate is a big part of your charisma. Yeah. So yeah, it's like it's both a transcendent thing and gets hurt when you don't, when you can't communicate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what I saw is that people put you in buckets and so what our friend did was he came down and was just in the foreigner bucket. Yep. He was not being compared on wit or depth of understanding or anything like that. And his charisma might be shining in first impressions and hurt in long, yes. longer, like he's not gonna deeper be able relationships. Yes, to, to deeply connect. This is all that. he's got is like fun, funny, loud mm -hmm. seven words that he knows in your language. And then so so living abroad, what I saw is I would have to make the call of do I want to be the foreigner bucket, which is going to be louder English speaking. They're going to struggle to speak to me in my language and I can be the charismatic foreigner. Or do I want to try to be the charismatic Latin person who is going to adapt to the culture, who is going to know that you do two kisses on each cheek, who mm -hmm. is going to. Uh, have the style of humor that recognizes that sarcasm does not work in in Brazil. Uh, and there was often like this weird gulf where I knew that I could be whatever, an eight out of 10 as the foreigner. And I was a six or a seven out of 10 as that the local, given my language skills and mm -hmm. understanding. But I would try to make the jump so that I could like get up and now eventually get, make 10, it to yeah. a nine or a 10 out of 10 in the local language. Which I, I don't think I ever did. I was never capable of being as sharp or funny, but I could go to a group of people speaking Spanish or Portuguese and hold my own yeah. in Spanish or Portuguese. It's also different when English is your first language because if you're mm -hmm. Norwegian and you try to jump in, in Norwegian, and speak yeah, in yeah. Norwegian, like no one's going to understand anything. There's mm -hmm. a bit of a crutch that American travelers can get by, which is that most people somewhere speak yeah. some words. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, and so I think that's 
that strategy would be impossible in Brazil, mm -hmm. speaking Norwegian, because no one would have any idea what you're saying. Mm -hmm. You could go now. You could do what my friend did, which is be completely. But he also he disrupted cultural norms as well, which yes. is, was a big thing. And I remember him not obeying the rules. No, and you go for that double I worked kiss and so he just hard. goes for a hug. And you're that going, I worked hard to internalize. And I was like, he's just blowing them off and it's working well. And yeah. that was a moment for me of of sort of seeing that there were two ways to do it. I could try to fit in mm -hmm. or I could just go, I'm not. I'm going to make very, very clear that I don't know what I'm doing. And you'll accept and understand that to the degree that you're capable yeah. of. No, you lean in for like the double kiss, which yeah. doesn't involve much of a hug. Yeah. And he's just like not kissing you on the cheek, but giving you a huge bear yeah, hug. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, from the first second. It's you're just transported into a different world where you're like, oh, this person's not going to follow cultural rules. Mm -hmm. And you can you can hate it. You can like it. But mm -hmm. yeah, he definitely made that clear from second one. Yep. Yep. Cool. That's all we got for normal questions. Whoa. So we're going to patron questions. Yep. Cool. Well, we're going to patron questions now. Hope that you guys enjoyed the cast. If you want to check these questions out and we do several, right? It's, it's sometimes a half dozen, sometimes more. Of every single episode, join our Patreon. You got the Discord now, Justin. Is that correct? Is it a Reddit? Yep. It's a Discord. Reddit and Discord. And a Reddit. A public Reddit. A public Reddit and a private Discord. Discord and access to all these questions. And I post sometimes about the books that I'm reading. Sometimes I post. I've posted the decision-making heuristics that we have. And it helps keep the podcast running. And it goes right to Justin's pocket. 100% <laughs> of it goes to Justin. Um, so it means a ton to us. And it and it really is. It completely funds this thing. So if you want to join Patreon, Patreon, go ahead and do so in the description below. And we'll see the rest of you in the Patreon. Peace. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.